So the Buddha talked a lot about something called dukkha. And if you're not familiar with that term, dukkha, it is a Pali word that can be defined as unsatisfactoriness. The unsatisfactoriness. He also taught about the uh, practice to the end of dukkha. And that uh, is really at the core of everything that he taught. Now, dukkha, or this unsatisfactoriness, at its core, uh, is ignorance. And I, I want to bring to light some of the characteristics of this ignorance. Uh, and to start, I'd like to flip it a little bit. If our unsatisfactoriness, and really our unhappiness, is connected with this ignorance at its core, then to understand, to know what's going on, uh, is the opposite of ignorance. And so must be at the core of our freedom from that dukkha. And this is what we're taught, and I'm wondering if you believe that. (laughs) I'm wondering if you do believe that. And so just taking a minute to check in, do you believe that? Have you seen that for yourself? Or maybe you believe it because it sounds rational, uh, but maybe it hasn't become quite a felt-sense experience. For those of you who do believe that this is true, that dukkha is uh, the cause of our unhappiness, that it is this unsatisfactoriness. I talk about it as friction. That's how I I internalize it. That's how I experience it, is this friction with life, coming up against it, not in the flow, not open to it. Dukkha. And when when I turn towards the dukkha and begin to understand it, I find that its power uh, lessens. But that's just from my own experience, and I'm wondering what you've found to be true in your experience. So maybe we can have just a few people uh, share. How do you know that dukkha, this unsatisfactoriness, is uh, the cause of your unhappiness? How do you know? Why do you believe that? Yes. There, there are times in my life that, that I was thinking about just now as you were speaking when I have not experienced that. Uh-huh. And those are the stellar times of my life that I chiefly remember <laughs> when I look back with pleasure on, the, on what I've experienced already. And they were interesting. Um, I was doing things that I really, really loved and I could really get into. And as soon as I was into them, I felt, you use the, the proper word yourself, flow. I was part of the process. Uh-huh. And there was no real distinctions, no fret between me and what I was doing. Uh-huh. And um, um, the object of, of my endeavors did not seem to work against me. Uh-huh. It was the difference between twi- swim, swimming upstream and swimming downstream. That's great. Um, I've also had experiences that were the opposite of that, in which everything was stress mm-hmm. and uh, rejection, kind of rejection by me of what I was doing and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that is because there just happened to be a fit between these things. That is to say, when in the no fuga um, <laughs> <laughs> experience, um, perhaps it was the case that um, I happened to get into things that suited me, you know, uh-huh. so to speak. Or perhaps that I prepared myself in some way for those things such that fuga did not occur. F- you're saying fuga? How, how do Duka. you pronounce it? Duka. Huga. Huga. But, Duka. But I know what you mean. Never heard it before. Yeah, it was That's saying, okay. I thought you were saying fuga. It's just a new vocabulary word. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. you have a few questions in there. I want you to keep those alive during this talk and, and come back to it. Right? Sure. So being in the flow and really feeling that happiness and joy come from there, and then uh, experiencing those times of stress, and you didn't use the word, but I will, contraction, 
and just feeling uh, the difference there. My question is whether I prepared myself for uh-huh. the experiences in which I did not feel the stress, and the preparation was the thing that was working for me, uh-huh. or whether there just happened to be a good fit. In the first case, it would be a question of ignorance, uh-huh. not knowing how to prepare myself. Yes. So let's see. So yes, ignorance is at the core of that dukkha. That will come up a lot this evening. Anything else? How do you know? How do you know? Why do you believe it? That dukkha is connected with your... <laughs> with not feeling uh, happy. In philosophy, there is the, uh, the conflict between is and ought. And whenever I confuse what is versus what I believe should ought to be, like Uh driving here, I should ought not have to deal with traffic. Uh But it is what is. And so once I start questioning my assumptions of the oughts and start waking up to the is's, the dukkha, I feel like I'm facing the dukkha then. I'm facing the suffering and I'm no longer projecting how I feel reality should be versus just being with the is of reality. Great. These are great examples. I think we'll come back to the group in a moment. Um, I'd like to do this a little bit interactively tonight. Um, Actually, here's a question that I think you've gotten before, most likely, if you come to these sits regularly. But how many of you have come to this practice because of dukkha in your life? How many of you were attracted to something like this? Yeah, so a lot of hands going up. And it's not true for everybody. It's not necessarily the way. But oftentimes, the reason we come to a practice like this is because of our suffering, because of that level of unsatisfactoriness, that nagging, something's not quite right. Uh, It often leads to this searching for something, something else, something that's needed, something that's missing. And then we get here. And what do we find when we first start practicing? Sometimes it's, it's relief. Sometimes it's bliss and happiness and peace and equanimity and joy and all these things. But oftentimes it's body pain. It's busy mind. Uh, it's an overwhelmed mind. Confusion. It's not necessarily pleasant for, for a, a lot of us especially when we first start. But even if you aren't new, (laughs) if you've been doing this for a while, these things revisit us from time to time. So what keeps us here? And so it might be dukkha that brings us here, some of us here, but it's the need to understand our, our wanting, our wholesome desire to understand that keeps us here. And I want to read you something. Um, this is from this a wonderful book from Utejaniya, who is a Burmese master um, in the uh, Theravadan tradition. He has this wonderful book. It's free online, actually, or by donation. It's called Awareness Alone is Not Enough. And the, the intro, I just want to read you this short couple of paragraphs. It's entitled, We Practice Because We Want to Understand. Most people don't seem to really appreciate the value of the work of mindfulness. They tend to think that the importance of mindfulness is in the things that they observe. But the objects do not really matter. People also spend a lot of time thinking about the results. They want to experience peaceful states. They want to bliss out. Then they get attached to these states and to the objects they focused on. The real value of meditation is not in getting such results, however enjoyable they may be. The real value of meditation is the actual process of being aware and understanding what is happening. The process is important, not the result. Instead of complaining about what is or is not happening, you should appreciate that you are aware regardless of what you are aware of, and learn from it. Awareness alone is not enough. Having a desire to really understand what is going on is much more important than just trying to be aware. 
We practice mindfulness meditation because we want to understand. And so it's through this real understanding, really knowing our experience and learning from it, where this is where the wisdom arises. And from that wisdom, that core of ignorance uh, doesn't have such a strong foothold. Now, ignorance is tricky, and it has these three friends that I want to talk about tonight. And these are uh, sometimes translated as the three poisons or the three defilements. And this is greed, hatred, and delusion. And these are poisons in the mind. Kalesas is the Pali word if if you're into that. (laughs) Greed, hatred, and delusion. And so another way of describing these are as roots. Uh, Habitual roots that take place in the mind. And I like... I like them described in this way because, for me, I'm a very visual person, and it helps me to think of them as uh, roots of weeds in a garden. You can imagine you've just planted all these seeds in this beautiful garden, and you're waiting for it to grow, and what ends up popping up first sometimes are the weeds. And so we see them. If we don't really take care if we just quickly go through the garden and and start pulling on them and just get the the tops off so it looks good, then the roots uh, remain. And any good gardener, or even if you're not a good gardener, you know that those roots will just sprout up again and again and again until you go in and actually remove them. Well, our mindfulness practice can be like this, and I think this is what Utejaniya is pointing to that sometimes when we do this practice, we lose track of what we're actually doing. We have the instructions to pay attention, to know what's happening in this moment, and to keep coming back to that. It's the knowing that's so important, though. It's not just being aware or even looking like you're aware, <laughs> which sometimes, sometimes that's all we can do. <laughs> but actually, the wisdom comes from going a little bit deeper and taking a look at what is at the root of my unsatisfactoriness right now. Or maybe it's the reverse. What's at the root of my joy right now? And really knowing it for what it is. And so very much like uh, weeds in a garden that are not untended, so this could be considered the untended mind, which most of us, this is what we start with, is this untrained mind. What happens uh, with those roots sometimes is they they grow and they grow and then they choke the the growth that you wish would bloom. So the flowers that you wish would sprout. Uh, Or maybe they've already sprouted, but suddenly they're having a hard time surviving because these weeds and these roots that have not been tended to are now choking them and they can't get the nutrients that they need. So you can see... The, the similarity here in our mind that when we don't tend to these roots, these poisons in our mind, they wreak havoc big time. And so I want to explore this with you um, and really look at what are these roots and what do we do with them once we've identified them. One way that the Buddha talks about these roots is as uh, he, he, he uses a simile, the simile of the cloth, and this is in the Majima Nikaya. He talks about them uh, as cloth that has been soiled, uh, cloth that's dirty, and then is taken to be dyed. And so the cloth is then dipped in the dye. Whatever the color is, it doesn't really matter when it comes out. Because it started as a dirty cloth, the dye doesn't actually uh, take very well to this new dyed cloth. Uh, it looks funky. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but that's what he's getting at. It doesn't quite look right. It's still this dirty piece of cloth that um, now just has dye on it. But if you start with a piece of cloth that's pure and clean, 
and you dip that into uh, a, a, a vat of dye and then pull that out, you'll see that the dye runs uh, evenly in the cloth and that you're getting the results that you probably hoped for. And so he likens this to our mind, that the defiled mind, uh, much like this defiled cloth, will have the results of unhappiness. A pure mind, or a mind simply with, without these roots, without these poisons, will have the result of happiness. And so he states this very clearly. One creates this outcome, and one creates the other outcome. So we begin to see this in our meditation. We start to see the habits of how our our mind affects our perception, uh, affects our thoughts, our emotions. Uh, It affects our actions because of this, our speech, our relationships with others, our judgments. It has a huge effect on how we are in our life and how we're perceiving the world around us. So we start to see this, but we still believe in them a lot of the time. They're really tricky. They're sticky. Before giving this talk today, I was thinking about how can I, how can I paint a nice picture of all three of these different poisons. And so I just, again, I'm, I'm a visual person. And so in my mind, for whatever reason, I envisioned almost like a cartoon, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion all sitting at a bus station bench together. <laughs> and so <laughs> you can just follow me on this. <laughs> so imagine that uh, it's a day like it was today, this beautiful, gorgeous, sunny day, And there at the bus stop is uh, uh, greed, hatred, aversion, uh, and delusion, all sitting there together on the bench, all having fairly, really having the same input of experience. Uh, You know, the road is there, the cars are there, the sun is there, they're waiting for the same bus. But their perception on what's going on is quite different. So in my mind, the cartoon goes that greed is sitting there, and is experiencing this lovely sunshine on his face. And it's warm, and it's cozy, it's comfortable, and he's really enjoying it. And so greed hasn't actually set in yet. It's just pleasant, enjoying it, very present with it. And then as he's waiting for the bus, and time goes on, the sun starts to shift slightly, and the beam of light is no longer completely on his face, but now slightly to one side, so only half of his face is getting the light. And he's with that and being present with that and noticing it's still pleasant, but then the thought arises. But it's not as pleasant as it was before. I wish that it could be that again. And then all of a sudden, he's he's trying to be with the present moment, but it's just too good that feeling of warmth and coziness and knowing that it could be just a little bit better, he starts to kind of crink his neck to the side and starts leaning over to the point where he's starting to encroach on on aversion's (laughs) space over here and just trying so hard, leaning into that sunshine to, to reproduce that pleasant feeling. And of course, as he's doing this, you can imagine the body is tensing up and not really that comfortable, and now the na- his neighbor is not that comfortable because he's leaning into his space. And even though he's so convinced that if he does that, that that pleasant experience will come back and that he'll be feeling good again, his whole body says otherwise. Instead of just being with that, that slight, you know, half-faced, filled with sunlight, uh, he strains to get more. This is the friction that I'm talking about. This is greed at work. And so we'll leave greed for a moment and go to our next character, which is aversion. Now, aversion is sitting in the middle and, and, and doing just fine, enjoying just sitting there and waiting for the bus. And his neighbor is a little odd, but he's just ignoring him. And, 
And um, uh, as, as she's sitting there, suddenly realizing the traffic is starting to pick up. It's getting a little bit more congested. And um, the sound is starting to get louder as the cars are going by a little bit faster and, and more of them. And this is okay at first, but, but suddenly it becomes annoying. It's just, it's kind of annoying. And then that annoyance grows into something a little bit bigger. Now aversion is kind of upset that there's this much traffic. And that annoyance and feeling upset is turning into a whole thought and plan of what she's going to write to her uh, city office about the lack of transportation and the need for carpool lanes and why don't people just carpool it's so obvious and so you can see aversion now is getting stuck into this aversiveness because of what started as just an increase in sound is now almost unbearable and now she's even checking her watch and tapping on it because she can't believe she's only been sitting there for five minutes and where is this but bus, and suddenly doubt sets in that the bus will even come. And this is aversion. And so then doubt is sitting there as well, but doubt has no idea that any of this is going on with his neighbors, and uh, is a little spaced out, a little disconnected, Uh, doesn't really notice the sound, doesn't really notice the sunlight, Uh, it's just kind of there, spacing out. It reminds me, when I was thinking about this, I had this memory of, uh, remember Forrest Gump? When he's sitting on the bench and all the different people come. And I just remember this one scene where he's telling his story to this one couple and they go into the story and, and, and uh, he's talking about Jenny and talking about shrimp and <laughs> all this stuff. And then it comes back to him at the bench and he turns around and it's a totally different person and he's a little surprised by it. But it doesn't really matter. He just keeps talking anyway. <laughs> and doubt is a little bit like this. <laughs> Delusion. Delusion, sorry. Delusion is a little bit like this, yeah. And so the three of them were there having this experience on on the bench, all just sitting there waiting for the bus quietly, all having their own experience of what that might be. And so this, these poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion, they really color the mind, just like that cloth, just like that dye. They color the mind, they color our experience, they color our perception. I was at a uh, day-long with Anam Tupton Rinpoche and James Barras not just a few weeks ago. How many people were there? Anybody there? Yeah. It was wonderful. And there was this one line that Anam Tupton, Tupton Rinpoche gave that uh, I've been repeating ever since. I think it was just brilliant. And he starts his talk by saying, here we all are sitting here under the same roof. And some of us are in paradise. And some of us, and then he pauses and kind of thinks, he says, I don't know what the English word is. Having a bad hair day. (laughs) And it's true. There we all were. Here we all are, sitting under the same roof, in the same room, And some of us are in paradise, and some of us are just having a bad hair day. And it's difficult. But it's all just perception. It's all just perception. So I want to go into each one of these a little bit further. Greed. Often greed comes up uh, in relationship with pleasant experience. The two are not the same. You can have an experience that is pleasant and not have the defilement greed come in. They're both, they're very different. But often it is uh, the wanting to either keep a pleasant experience 
because we know that they're not permanent. They're con- our experience is pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. It's constantly changing, constantly changing. Nothing we can do about it. But these poisons think otherwise, and we believe them. And so sometimes we find ourselves really hanging on to an experience, or maybe it's to a person, or an emotion, or an idea, a belief. And we'll hang on to it because it feels good. It's pleasant. And greed doesn't always, I don't think greed always has to be connected with pleasant. I think greed can be there with a neutral or an unpleasant sensation. But oftentimes, my experience anyway, has been this connection with pleasant. And we do really weird things to get that pleasant. We do very strange, sometimes even uh, destructive things to get that pleasant, to get that happiness. Because we equal, pleasant equals happiness, which also, both of those are two different things. And so we'll sometimes have this, this sense that we're constantly putting all this energy forth to create more pleasant, more pleasant experience. Does this sound familiar? Okay, it's not just me. <laughs> I didn't think so. Societally, we are trained to think this way too. It's, it's enforced heavily by all the billboards and TV and what's, even what we talk about, what we aim for, what we uh, often th- label as really important or valuable will often be fit in this pleasant experience ca- um, category. And so there's this sense of always leaning forward and always needing more. The next big thing, the next thing that will make me happy. We're told that not only do you need the next big thing, but you have to be a certain way and then you'll be happy. And no, we don't always believe this, but every now and then we get caught by it. It's just too good. It's such a good story. Because oftentimes the pleasantness it's easy to feel happiness in those moments. James often uses the example of ice cream, which I like because I have this experience with ice cream, (laughs) where you have this big bowl of ice cream, and you take that first bite, and you're with it. It's so good. You love it. It's delicious. And you have this rush of happiness. Ice cream equals happiness. And you're just so into it that all of a sudden you just feel you need more, more happiness. I need more happiness. And so you're eating it, but you're not actually present with it. And what you'll find is that that first bite was pretty amazing and and wonderful. But by the time you're done, most of the time we're not present with every single bite. In fact, by the time we're done, we might not feel good at all. (laughs) But in our mind, we have this story of, oh, that was great. Can't wait till tomorrow. I'll do that again. And you might even have a bellyache because of it. But we have this belief in things like this. And that's kind of a silly example, but you get what I'm saying. So even when the experience from pleasant turns to unpleasant, we'll still buy in to this is what I want. I want more of this. The thing about what's really tricky, I think, about greed or hard, uh, why it's so hard to look at it and to catch it, is that we can so easily justify it because it feels good or we think it will feel good. It's so easily justified. I Sometimes I imagine greed as this uh, you remember the Looney Tune cartoons, and there would be that little devil on the on the cartoon, the character's shoulder, saying, "Come on, <laughs> no one's going to notice." That's greed. <laughs> That's what my greed sounds like, anyway. Just a little bit more. Yeah, this will be great. Yeah, don't ignore that. You know, logic. Just just do it really fast, or you know, just this one time. 
And it's so convincing. It's, it's, it sounds, yeah, I deserve this. Yeah, you're right. I do deserve this. No one will miss this. I can, I can just take this. And it sounds so good. And so oftentimes we miss the fact that, oh, no, this is just poison in the mind. This is just a defilement. This is just greed. So that's greed. Aversion. Aversion is really this inability or uh, lack of interest to be with what is here right now. So this wanting it to be something different. Sometimes that turns into trying to get rid of it. I know often for me, uh, if if it's not to my liking, I'll try to fix it. Any fixers in the room? <laughs> yeah. Try to fix it. Another, uh, very justifiable, right, in our mind. But it can be this sneaky poison in the mind of aversion. This isn't going quite the way I feel it should be going right now. Someone in the back, you mentioned traffic. You know, traffic is there. This is the Bay Area. This is effective life. <laughs> we know it's going to be there. And still, when we hit it, Sometimes, I know, for me, sometimes, it's very upsetting. Why is there so many people here in the Bay Area? (laughs) Why don't we have the infrastructure to hold all this? This is crazy. But, you know, me getting upset in my car about traffic doesn't make the traffic go away. Or me getting frustrated because I need to be somewhere and I know already that I'm not going to get there on time and me getting upset with traffic being there. This can't be happening. This shouldn't be happening. Not this time, not today. <laughs> it doesn't do anything to the traffic. The traffic is there. I am trapped. Right, I am part of the traffic. <laughs> very, that's very true, Philip. Yes, yes, I'm part of the problem. But in that moment... I don't see clearly. I don't see it that way, do I? I'm, you know, it's, it's happening to me. Why is this happening? I don't want this here. Oftentimes these poisons work in this way where we can even be mindful of it. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm averse. There's traffic. I'm going to be late. I know this is what's happening. But even then, we don't, necessarily understand what's really happening. (laughs) I'm a part of traffic. (laughs) Yeah. So so oftentimes these uh, defilements, they narrow our view. We just don't see clearly. And so aversion certainly works in this way. I think I've told this story at least once in this group, so I apologize for the repetitiveness, but it just seems to be my perfect aversion story. And that was me being on a retreat, a month-long retreat, a number of years ago. Uh, And it was my dukkha retreat. (laughs) The first half of this month-long, I was experiencing the most intense aversion the most intense I've ever experienced. I, sometimes I was able to be with it, but mostly I just wanted it to go away. <laughs> A lot of stories that sounded like, oh, I've been doing this way too long, this can't be happening to me, there's something wrong here, <laughs> would pop into my mind. And so everything became wrong. Why do we have to do walking meditation. This is so stupid. (laughs) I love my walking meditation. (laughs) But at the time, I just found it totally pointless. You know, I have aversion to the teachers. Oh, this is, uh, they're going to talk about this topic again. Or, oh, just ring the bell already. Isn't this sit over with? Or, oh, this is what's for dinner. Or this is what's for lunch. They don't really have dinner. Oh, I don't even like, you know, whatever it was, tofu and vegetables, because that's mostly (laughs) what you get. Actually, the food there is really good. (laughs) 
But for me, that two weeks, it was, everything was wrong. Except for me, really. (laughs) Right? And I remember going into uh, an interview with one of my teachers who I was so adverse to. (laughs) Everything that she would say, I just felt I couldn't buy into it. And I walked in and... uh, I was explaining, I just don't have faith in this anymore. I don't know if I can do this practice anymore. I don't know if I should be here. And she said, Kate, this really sounds to me like doubt. And I said, no, it's just a version. No, it's not doubt. (laughs) I may not have been that snotty about it, but in my mind, whoops, in my mind I was. And uh, and so so she said, okay. And I, I left the interview and went on with my practice. Oops. I'm caught. Let's see. Can you still hear me? Okay. So I went, I left the interview and I went on with my practice and I'm in, I'm doing walking meditation and grumbling about it. And I'm walking, walking, walking. And then all of a sudden there was this clear moment. And I asked myself, Kate, could this be doubt? And then, yes, it was. All of this doubt started to come out. Oh, I'm doubting this practice. I'm doubting my teachers. I'm doubting the path. I'm doubting myself. I'm doubting my ability. I'm doubting being here. And it just unveiled itself. There was this level, this, this layer of doubt underneath all of this aversion And I realized in that moment that all of that aversion, I was really protecting myself from my doubt. And aversion can work like this sometimes. It can be this false protector. And I say false protector because, of course, it didn't really protect me, did it? The doubt was still there, but it was hiding it from me. Or I just wasn't looking close enough. But it just, but it seemed so real that all of this, all of this aversion, that that's all that was there. But really, it was just protecting me. And the way that aversion seems to protect us is it closes our heart. And that's one of the ways that I find I can tell that, oh, this is just aversion. So I can feel my my heart close. I'm not open anymore. And that closing of the heart is not really a protector. Someone, I heard a teacher recently um, refer to aversion as, uh, what was it? I wrote it down. I want to say it right. I think it was, ah, fighting the moment. That aversion, it's always, you're just fighting the moment, fighting what's really there. That, so on that two weeks, and it did, took, it, took, it was very humbling, took me two weeks fighting doubt, fighting what was really there. And so aversion can look like this. So aversion is, is tricky in its own way uh, to notice I think sometimes because it functions in all these different ways and we really believe our aversion, we often feel justified in it just as we do with greed. Uh, that, that all we're doing, uh, what, what we're seeing or our opinion about what's going on is really right, right now. So that's aversion. Delusion. I recently heard delusion is like being sucked into neutral. I love that because that's what it feels like, being sucked into neutral. Oftentimes when we are in that place of neutral experience, kind of the in-between of it's not pleasant, it's not unpleasant, it's somewhere in here. Oftentimes, 
we don't notice that in-between because it's so subtle or seemingly unimportant. So a simple experience of maybe walking out the door uh, when you leave tonight. Some of us might be really focused on where we need to go next. Some of us might be reflecting on all the things that you're learning from this talk. (laughs) Or maybe your disagreements about what I'm saying. Whatever your experience is. But how many of us are really present as we walk out that door? Are present with the night air hitting our skin? uh, The smell of, I believe it's jasmine, right outside the door. Check it out when you leave tonight. The sound of traffic and people talking the feeling of your feet on the ground. What a precious moment. Just that moment. How precious, but neutral. There's nothing really that special about it compared to maybe our big ups and our big downs. It's just neutral, but we miss it. And this is where delusion often sets in. Or it's in these places of, of neutral. So delusion often will... will also look disconnected. We're a bit disconnected from what's actually happening here. Delusion also couples our greed and our aversion. One of the reasons we don't see it is because there's some delusion there. Our delusion believing in uh, that greed or believing in that, that aversion I often think of the three working in this way where greed is, you know, the kind of we're reaching forward, we're reaching for more. Aversion is pushing away, get rid of it. And delusion is just kind of what binds us in that reality. (laughs) And so you can really see with this push and this pull, just the amount of energy that we put forth in these three poisons. And you can see how the ignorance, not knowing any of these, not being able to recognize any of these, uh, really allows that unsatisfactoriness, that cycle of dukkha to just go on and on and on. It's when we really get to know and understand all of these that we begin to wake up. They're not so sticky. They don't have their hold their roots aren't so deep anymore. Delusion, though, is, is tricky to recognize or tricky to know uh, or to look at just because of its nature. Delusion. It's hard to sometimes know that that's what's going on. So all three of these are tricky in their own way. I want to spend a little bit of time, just a little bit, saying, uh, talking about ways that I found personally helpful when working with these three poisons. One is, one is noticing that there's dukkha, noticing that there's friction. That's a big sign. <laughs> and it seems obvious, but oftentimes we can live within that place of friction for a long time before suddenly we realize, oh, wait a second, there's just something not right here. Oh, wait, this is dukkha. So recognizing dukkha, that's the sign. Oh, here's dukkha. Where are the defilements? What's coupling it? What's feeding that dukkha in my mind? Where's the greed? Where's the delusion? Where's the aversion? Recognizing dukkha. Sometimes I'll ask myself when the dukkha and the belief system is so strong, I'll ask myself, is this true right now? Just that simple question, is this true right now? Is this really, really true? And sometimes it is. And other times it's not. And it's really wonderful to catch myself. Oh, no, wait, no, 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 this is not true. This is just that greed talking. This isn't real. Is this true right now? Call it out. Give clarity to the mind that it's there. Give it a name. Oh, this is delusion. This is greed. This is aversion and delusion. 
This is all three. I can see all of them there. (laughs) They're all playing here together. There they are. Calling them out. Get to know each one really well. Use your awareness to see what's really there. Sometimes we don't really want to see what's there. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes seeing what's there means that we have to face our demons, uh, ugly sides of ourselves, that shadow area. Sometimes it means having to see the truth about other people that we really love and care about. So sometimes we don't want to go there. But in order to be free from this dukkha, we have to go there. There's no go around. We have to go there. It's where the practice actually begins. And it's where the practice ends. We have to go there. And so here are some things to look for, to, just to ask yourself. Ask yourself, how does it affect my thoughts, my perceptions, my beliefs, my emotions right now? Really get to know that relationship with it. How is it affecting me in my mind right now? Ask yourself, how is it affecting my speech, my actions, my relationships, my judgments of myself and others? Ask yourself if it's permanent. Is this permanent? I would say no. (laughs) But ask yourself, do I really feel like this is permanent? Oftentimes, these mind states, they feel very permanent when we're really stuck in it. And that's when you know, that's when you can ask yourself, is this really true? All of this is fleeting. And because it's fleeting, because it's always changing, it's not personal. They feel really personal. We, when we're really bought in and we're not seeing clearly the whole picture, we take it very personally. But these three poisons are just another fabrication of the mind. It's just a dream. There's nothing tangible about it. It's not personal. It's something that runs within all of us. We don't have to get rid of them, in a sense. If you're trying to get rid of these defilements, that's just a version. <laughs> if you want to ignore it, then there, there's delusion right there. And you probably don't want more of it, but that would be greed. So it just feeds into itself, right? So how does this work? Well, it's knowing it, really knowing it. That's the uprooting, just getting to know it. You don't have to get rid of it or try to get rid of it. It's knowing what they are, recognizing them. Asking for a reality check. I do this all the time. So I've got some really good friends uh, who I know I can go to when I feel like I need a reality check right now because I can't answer that question, is this really true? It seems really true. But I can feel the dukkha in it. There's something not quite in the flow. And so having sangha, having people around you that you can go to and ask for a wise uh, and constructive reality check, very important, very supportive. Getting involved with the community here, if you're not one who is already, this is really important. This group is important. This is rare what we have here. Having good friends, having wise friends around you that, that can tell you, I think you're stuck in it right now. I think you're totally deluded. And have them say that and you not be defensive because you know that they care for you and they understand what that means. And the last one I'll share with you is something that I take a lot of refuge in these days, and I want to share it with you just in case it's something that strikes a chord with you. And that is getting in touch with my inner wisdom. Sometimes I call this my inner stillness. That place within me that can hold 
all of this, the craziness, the drama of Kate, (laughs) there's something deeper that can hold that and know that this is just the drama of Kate. This is just greed. This is just delusion. This is just aversion. No problem. Here it is. It won't last. It's not personal. This place inside that doesn't get pushed around and, and get fooled and, and get into the pull and the push of aversion and, and greed. A place that can see the mind go there, but stay still and stay grounded. And I believe that this is something that we all have. Sometimes we forget to trust it. And we look for, we're constantly looking for the outside gratification and making sure that we're doing the right thing. But actually, we all have such incredible wisdom that's there if we can look towards it and feel it. And we know that it's wisdom when that rub isn't there, when there's that feeling of stillness. Oh, yeah, I can just hold this. I don't need to get rid of it. This is just part of my dharma right now. So I'll end with this quote that's my favorite quote. And then we'll do some Q&A. is from the Sutta Nipata. As in the ocean's midmost depth, no wave is born. So you can imagine floating down, starting at the top with all the waves and the wind and the current, and then floating down to the ocean's midmost depth where no wave is born. But all is still. So let the practitioner be still, be motionless, and nowhere should they swell. So trusting that place inside of you that can hold all of this, even in the most craziest times, trusting in your sangha, trusting in this practice. So we have just about five minutes I wonder if there's any questions, any comments. I wanted this to be a little more interactive than I made it, but uh, this is a good time to let your voice come out if, if you had thoughts during that. <laughs> um, this is... This is just a question of semantics, I guess. But in the beginning, you were talking about greed, hatred, and delusion. But then the word changed to aversion, and so uh-huh. you caught hatred. Me. <laughs> hatred to me is well, you know. Yeah. So is are they the same or? It's a good question. I actually had that question too, and I was looking into it today because they they seem to flip flop depending on who is doing the translation. So it might just be a translation. Um, but I think they, they also are very much connected. That aversion or that hatred really speaks to that close-heartedness, uh, that pushing away. That's hatred. And that's aversion too. But maybe aversion in, in, our, in our language also covers more ground where hatred just seems more potent. Aversion... Uh, seems to cover more of the experience than just hatred. But I think together they're the same. I might be wrong on that. I couldn't find anything that said differently. Um, Yeah, but it's interchangeable. Same with greed. Sometimes desire is interchanged with greed. And even ignorance with delusion. So it just depends. Yeah, thanks for the question. Anything else? Yeah, right over here. Oh. Try again. Hello? There Excellent. 
Doesn't aversion also play a healthy role in our lives in that we will see something or something is hurting us and that drives us to social action or to get out of an unhealthy situation? Sure. As with doubt, without doubt, it leads to credulousness and yeah. that is also a poison. So yeah. I just wanted wondering what you, how you felt on that. Yeah, it's a good question and one that pops up for me now and then too. Um, just the important play of, of all three, really. Uh, but actually, if, we, if you think about it, they all play in our lives the way that they do. And, and sometimes, um, for instance, that, that wanting of greed to, to understand, um, when mixed with, uh, with wisdom and, and understanding, can turn into incredible faith. Uh, or wholesome desire. Uh, aversion can have its advantages, but they're really limited, actually. The word discernment, to discern, to actually choose, you know, is this, an, is this okay? Is this not okay? I don't think this is what I really want right now. Or... Um, this situation is not healthy for me, or this is dangerous. There's no aversion there. There's just knowing. There's discernment. There's wisdom there. It's, not, it's almost a difference between a reaction and a response. So uh, uh, delusion also. Um, and did you say doubt? Yeah, these things, they're part of our process. It's like Utejaniya was pointing to the process. The important thing is our process, working through these and getting to know them and how do these play in our lives. Um, they're all limited, though. All of these poisons, they, they limit our understanding or limit our full experience of life. And so uh, something like delusion at times or might, be, might be helpful, um, maybe we feel if we weren't a little bit delusional, then it would just be too much. It would be overwhelming. And maybe that's true sometimes. And it's also very limiting. So there's two truths there. We don't experience the fullness of life. Uh, doubt, too. The, the, the confusion that comes with doubt. Um, there can be a healthiness to doubt, but I, again, I think that when we fully understand what's happening in the moment, then it's not really doubt so much as uh, maybe turning back into discernment, really knowing uh, through wisdom rather than having a knee-jerk reaction or a lot of confusion in the mind. Does that make sense? It's a good question to have, though, and one to actually keep really present as you're interacting with them. How, how, do I, how does this work in my life? How is this informing me? And, uh, and get to know that. That's all part of the process of understanding. Okay. So we'll end there. We'll end with a little bit of metta and a dedication of merit. And dedication of merit really is an acknowledgement of the wholesomeness of us being here, the wholesomeness of this practice, the wholesomeness of coming and listening to Dharma. This wholesomeness has a ripple effect not only in our own lives, but in the lives of people we interact with, people we know, people who are strangers to us. It has an effect. We also don't know how far that ripple goes, that wholesome ripple goes. And so with this dedication of merit, we wish that this ripple uh, affects all beings everywhere and that this practice be uh, touching or to, will touch all beings everywhere. That truth will touch all beings everywhere. And so with that, we acknowledge that this practice really isn't just about us, but it's for all beings. 
And so we wish ourselves and all beings to be happy, to be content. We wish them wellness in their mind and in their body. And we wish them to understand, to come to full understanding and see the fullness of life and the happiness of life within that understanding. So thank you very much for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.